Hello everyone, this is Jeffrey Care. I'm here today with a very special episode of the Care Reviews podcast. How special is it, you may ask? In case you haven't read the title, this is my 100th episode. That is such a big milestone to get to. If this was a TV show, network executives would probably be telling me that they have enough episodes to run in syndication. But, like any good talk show, I'm like the Energizer Bunny because I keep going and going. Before I even started my own podcast, I had already been a contributing editor for Broadway World in Raleigh, North Carolina since 2014, and still am one. When I started out in that department, I used a tape recorder app on my iPad to record interviews with talent involved with national touring companies that were coming to Durham. Then I would re-listen to them in order to transcribe the interviews for Broadway World. Some of them I have published onto the podcast, one of them in particular you're about to hear an excerpt from. This interview was recorded back in March of 2015, a couple months ahead of a national touring company of Pippin that was coming to my area. In the cast as Charlemagne was John Rubinstein, who had previously originated the role of the title character in that same musical on Broadway back in 1972. One of the first questions I asked him was of course about how his journey with Pippin originally began. Although when this interview was recorded, it was actually in an office during a break I had during a day I spent at college. So please excuse the background sounds you're about to hear. Yeah, of course, you made your Broadway debut as the title character in the original Bob Fosse production. So would you share with us your memories of how you got involved? I was living in Los Angeles. I uh, had just gotten married. I, I had been uh, working for the, for the past seven years. As an actor, uh, both in, uh, you know, in, in theaters, and I, I had done a tour of the country, playing in virtually every city in the United States uh, for, for months. I had done a lot of television. I had done a few movies. I was beginning to, to feel very confident of, about being an actor and that, that this was going to be the way I was going to, you know, support my family and make my life. I was also beginning to score movies. I, I, I had written the, the scores for three I could have masked how young I was, but I hadn't done that. So 
After that interview took place, I got into the habit of moving on from the tape recorder to using the camera on my iPad. For a while, I would turn on the speaker of my iPhone, press record on the camera, and have that capture my conversation to whoever it was I interviewed. Then I would edit the video in iMovie, replace the visuals with photos, and upload the interviews to YouTube. Several of them I also uploaded onto the podcast. One of them was with a young girl from Raleigh, North Carolina, who has an extensive list of credits at one of our local regional theaters. She has appeared in their productions of The Music Man, with Tom Wilpat as Harold Hill, Annie Get Your Gun, The Sound of Music, Annie with Andrea McCardle as Miss Hannigan, Cinderella, Evita, Hairspray with a younger Ariana DeBose as Little Inez, Legally Blonde, Les Miserables, The Little Mermaid, and Next to Normal. In 2014, she became a recipient of the Durham Performing Arts Center's Triangle Rising Star Award, which led to her competing at the Jimmy Awards in New York City. It was during her performance there that she caught the attention of a casting director in the audience, who would later cast her in a workshop lab of this new musical that was at the time in the works. Through that experience, director Michael Greif went on to cast her in the ensemble of the If Then National Tour. The young girl I'm talking about is English Bernhardt. When If Then was about to come to my area in the spring of 2016, the people at the Durham Performing Arts Center asked me if I'd be interested in interviewing her, which I happily agreed to do. What you're about to hear is one of the questions I got to ask English about. And now let's talk about your director, Michael Greif. He's pretty busy right now. He just opened Steer Evan Hansen at Second Stage in New York. He's getting ready to do War Paint in Chicago with Patti LuPone and Christine Abersong. Now, what is he like to work with? He is so kind and loving, but is such a brilliant director. He pays such close attention to detail, like no director I've ever worked with. And it shows in, in all of his pieces. If you look at Ray, you look at Next Normal, he has just, he's such successes. And it, it doesn't surprise me at all because he, he just, the way that he communicates things and the way that he can bring out what he's trying to from an actor, it's magical. And I was actually able to work with Michael in the early stages of Dear Evan Hansen. It's how we met. I did a reading and then I did a lab. And then they, they went to DC and I wasn't a part of that. And then now, obviously, they're at second stage. So that is how we met. He has this way of still, still making you feel safe in a workspace and confident in yourself, but is truly just one of a kind and has this vision and knows exactly what he wants. It's magical. And clearly, other people see it, too, and want to continue working with him. And like you said, he's so busy right now, as he should be always, because he truly is made for this business and That's right, the musical she got to be in the workshops for was Dear Evan Hansen. 
a show that not only went on to move to Broadway, but it also ended up winning six Tony Awards, including Best Musical, and was most recently adapted into a feature film released by Universal Pictures. The show English was doing at the time, if then, explored two different paths of where a woman's life could take her. This was something I actually mentioned to English at one point during my conversation with her. One theory I have is that I think if you hadn't taken the tour, you probably would have gotten to be in Dear Evan Hansen. She hasn't gotten to be in Dear Evan Hansen yet, but she can at least now be seen in the national tour of Mean Girls as the standby for three different roles. Over the next few years, I started to get into the habit of listening to podcasts. The more I listened to them, the more curious I became to learn about how they're actually made. As soon as I did, I decided to try my hand at producing podcasts myself. The first interview I was able to conduct for this show was with a veteran theater actress named Joy Franz back in April of 2019. At the time, she was playing the Dowager Empress in the national tour of Anastasia. As that show was making its way to Durham, I got to ask Joy a lot about her career, which included a lot of her collaborations with the legendary musical theater songwriter Stephen Sondheim. And you were also a veteran interpreter of Stephen Sondheim's work. I believe it began when you appeared in the original production of Little Night Music. Actually, my first uh, working with Stephen Sondheim and uh, Michael Bennett uh, was Company. Ah. I did it two weeks on Broadway, and then went to London with it. Mm. So that was in 1972. We had New Year's Eve in London doing company. It was just marvelous. I was there all for almost two months. What a great show. Well, I just love it. It was very progressive at that time when it first opened on Broadway. Well, I don't think people understood what the message was. Well, well, yeah, I remember hearing that Steve's intention was to, you know, avoid all the, you know, escapisms that people want to go to theater for. He wanted to bring their problems right to the audience. That's right. He's brilliant. And I am so honored and grateful that I've got to work with Stephen Sondheim on, I think, I have six shows now. Because it was company, a little night music, the original Assassins, which was at Playwrights Horizon, right. then uh, the original Into the Woods, and then I joined the revival of Into the Woods. Yes. And, uh, oh, uh, Merrily We Roll Along, when they were upgrading it for adults at La Jolla. Ah. I was a part of that, too. Now tell us about working with Steve again on the original production of Assassins. Oh, you know, they misunderstood it. They thought, I think, I don't know, it's my interpretation, that guns were being validated, but not. It was really anti-weapons. 
that is, you know, having the perspective of seeing what was going on in these people that wanted to assassinate and so it's like what's going on today. They didn't agree with what was going on with, you know, the leading these presidents. And they were a little, you know, off-center. So it was fascinating. Oh, my God, I just thought it was brilliant. We were supposed to go to Broadway. It was already planned to go to Broadway. But there was an assassination at the same time. Before we get to the next interview I'd like to highlight, let me tell you a long story regarding the person. In March of 2017, I might have just gotten home from the gym one day when my mother asked me if I was watching the news, which I wasn't. She told me how they had just interviewed this girl from the Wake Forest, who at the time was starring on Broadway in a Bronx tale. My mother also asked if I knew where Wake Forest is, which she then said something like, it's right near us. That girl was Ariana DeBose. I don't remember if I had already known she was from the Triangle area prior to that, but I do remember before Bronx Tale, she was in the ensemble of the original cast of Hamilton, with one of her most notable roles being the bullet. On January 14th, 2019, I came across an article from Deadline Hollywood reporting that Ariana had been cast as Anita in Steven Spielberg's film adaptation of West Side Story, along with three others, newcomer Rachel Zegler as Maria, David Alvarez as Bernardo, and Josh Andres Rivera as Chino. Now that movie is about to be released in theaters nationwide on December 10th, though almost two years ago, I was able to interview Ariana DeBose by phone. One of the first questions I got to ask her about was her humble beginnings. So going back to the beginning, how did you first get started in the theater? That's a great question. I discovered theater when I was in high school. Mm. Yeah, I was in high school. I did my first production of Fame mm. when I was a freshman. And then I got involved in Broadway Series South and Wake County Public School Systems used to partner in doing all county productions. And I got involved in that program and participated in their productions of Aida, Les Miserables, and Chorus Line consecutively. And so that was really my, my first introduction to theater. Yeah, I guess a few years after you finished high school, I guess had to have been when you got to make your Broadway debut twice as an understudy in the same theater season. First, it was Bring It On, then in Motown the Musical, and both of those shows even got to perform on the 2013 Tony Awards. So I guess, what was that like? Oh, it was, it was so exciting. You know, I had grown up watching the Tonys on the television. Uh, you know, I think every sensible theater geek is, is watching that opening number, dreaming of it, of participating one day. And that was the year that that happened for me. And I'll never forget standing on stage, you know, alongside Neil Patrick Harris, who mm -hmm. I believe was hosting that year. He was. Yeah. And, and just looking out into Radio City and seeing all these faces that I had idolized for, for so long or looked up to. You know, I, I, I remember very distinctly seeing my friend Martha Plumpton sitting sitting in front of me and Bernadette Peters was near her and then there was Audrey McDonald. Mm. It was a very exciting time, um, a very busy time. It's very cool to be a part of two shows that were, are so different. You know, Bring It On is a, is a pop cheerleading musical, and Motown the Musical tells you the story of Motown Records and Barry Gordy. They have two very distinct sounds and tell two very different stories, so it's exciting to be a part of the, that as well. 
True story that I actually didn't get to tell Ariana during our conversation. I was actually in the audience at Radio City Musical for the Tonys that year. Last year, everyone in the whole world was forced to stay home because of COVID-19. Luckily for me, I was still able to get some interviews done in the meantime. One of them was with the producing artistic director of Playmakers Repertory Company, which is one of the local regional theaters here in the Triangle area. Her name is Vivian Benish. When performances all over the New York Theatre District shut down on March 12, 2020, Vivian was in the middle of rehearsals for her Broadway directorial debut with a new play titled Birthday Candles starring Deborah Messing. That show is now slated to begin performances this spring on March 18, 2022. When I spoke with Vivian back in August of last year, I knew I had to ask her about Birthday Candles. Would you mind talking a little bit more about Birthday Candles? Like, how did you first come across the play? Well, it was actually a commission by the Detroit Public Theater, and the women who run the Detroit Public Theater, I have known a very long time, and in fact, one of the founders was the managing director at the Chautauqua Theater Company, where I was artistic director for 12 years before coming to Playmakers. So when the founders of Detroit Public Theater commissioned it, they attached me to the project before a word was written, which was really exciting for me. So I really got to watch and help develop the play from its very inception. And we did our first workshop of it at Chautauqua Theatre Company in 2017. Then we premiered it at Detroit Public Theatre in 2018. And then the year after that, we brought it to the Goodman for their new stages uh, reading festival. And that's where Roundabout saw it and loved it. And then we organized a reading for it in New York and brought Deborah Messing into it, who was my graduate school classmate at NYU. And so Noah and I both thought that she would be just exquisite in the role and sent her the script and she loved it. And so that's how it all sort of happened. And then one of those, you know, wonderful moments where we did the reading and Todd Haynes responded to it just the way everyone before had and said, we really want to bring this to Roundabout. And then to our happy surprise, he said, we want to bring this to the Broadway stage, not to our off-Broadway stage, because we believe a new work like this deserves that broad an audience and production. And was obviously thrilled about that, uh, because on a personal note, I had made my Broadway debut as an actor at the Roundabout, so it was very exciting to be making my Broadway debut as a director with the Roundabout as well many, many years later. As of now, that was the last interview I conducted where I got in touch with a guest by phone. Since then, I've used Zoom instead. One of them you're about to hear some excerpts from. Though before we get to the final interview I'd like to highlight, let me tell you a long story regarding the person. During my first year of writing for Broadway World, the national tour of Wicked was coming to Durham for most of January in 2015. When the people at DPEC asked me who I'd be interested in interviewing, I said one of the two leads. At the time, I didn't really know anything about them. I just thought it would be cool to speak with either of the actresses who were starring as Elphaba and Glenda. 
When I heard back from Deepak in December of 2014, they told me that both stars were being hit up with a lot of press over the next couple of weeks, so they offered me the chance to interview Emily Bainey, who was playing Nessa Rose at the time. I accepted the offer, I had a great chat with Emily, and I was proud of how that interview turned out. Though about a couple weeks or so later, I came across an article from one of our local newspapers, The News and Observer, about the actress playing Elphaba Laurel Harris and that she is from Raleigh, North Carolina. I'm not 100% sure, but I'm positive my reaction at that point was like, man, that would have been a cool interview to get. Immediately, I shared the article with my mother, and clearly she read it because the response I got from her was, she went to my high school? That's cool. It's true. Laurel Harris and my mother are both graduates of Enlo High School in Raleigh. Last year, about seven months into the pandemic, I reached out to Laurel via Instagram asking her if she'd like to be interviewed by me. We were able to work things out, and over a week later, our conversation took place. I did mention to Laurel that my mother is also a graduate of her alma mater, and her response was, Oh my gosh, how cool! Oh my gosh, go Eagles! <laughs> yeah. Although what you're about to hear is actually one of my favorite parts of the interview. Laurel Harris is married to a guy named Rob Marnell, who's not only a fellow Broadway actor, but he also happens to have roots in North Carolina. He's originally from upstate New York, but his family moved to Raleigh when he was 10. This is where I began the discussion on their relationship. And between you and your husband, there's at least five jukebox musical credits on both of your resumes. Not only was Rob most recently in the Tina Turner musical, but he's also a Jersey Boys alumni from having played Bob mm -hmm. Gaudi in the Las Vegas production, as well as having a small part as Joe Long in the Clint Eastwood-directed film adaptation. However... There is one major overlap where the two of you not only appeared in the Broadway production of Beautiful at the same time, but you both also got to go on as Carol King and Jerry Goffin together. What was that we like? Did. That was so cool. Oh my gosh. Talk about, you know, life imitating art and art imitating life. That was wild. Like, I can't even put into words, you know, when we were on that stage together and singing together and playing a married couple on stage while married. And, oh, it was so special. I mean, who would have ever thought we would have been given that opportunity? And actually, one of my favorite memories ever was on Rob's birthday, we got to play Carol and Jerry together. And we had, like, all of our family come. And I'm looking at him, I'm like, oh. <laughs> It was a really cool time in our lives. Yeah, I, I mean, it's something that you can't really put into words. You know, it's, I felt like so much of the time that we were on stage together, I was just kind of like floating. It didn't really feel real. And it's like you're watching yourself from above, kind of like a dream, but it was real. And we have pictures. And when I see the pictures, I'm just like, I can't believe that happened. What? And we got to do it several times together, which was really, really fun. And it also made it interesting, too, because we both covered several different characters in the show. So we got to go on a lot together as different pairs of people. So, yeah, sometimes we were husband and wife. Sometimes I was Cynthia Weil, and he was my boss as Donnie Kirshner. Sometimes I was Carol King, and he was my boyfriend as Nick. It was fun. It was definitely a fun experience for both of us. I remember when the Facebook page for Beautiful posted about the first time you and Rob got to go on this Carol and Jerry together. I shared it with the people at Raleigh Little Theater, which was where the two of you first met. 
That's right. We met at Raleigh Little Theater. We both had the same voice teacher, Lisa Blair, and we actually met for the first time on her porch as I was leaving and Rob was entering. And we were getting ready to audition for Cinderella at Raleigh Little Theater, which is wild. And then, yeah, we got to know each other during Cinderella and started dating way back, way back when and had, you know, two prom or three proms together because Rob's a year older than me and he went to Millbrook High School. So I went to one Millbrook prom with him and two Enloe proms with him. After that part, Laurel ended up bringing out one of her and Rob's prom pictures, which I thought was adorable. I didn't include that part in the podcast version of the interview since podcasts are pretty much audio only, though you can see it in a video version unedited on my YouTube channel simply titled Jeffrey Care. So that's just about does it for my 100th episode. I hope you all enjoyed taking a look back at my journey with the Care Reviews podcast with me. Thanks to everyone for continuing to support this show by listening and subscribing. And here's to many more episodes to come in the future. If you love this show, please leave us a review. Go to ratethispodcast.com slash carereviewspodcast and follow the simple instructions. Feel free to subscribe to wherever you get this podcast. If you'd like to find more content from me, please visit my website, which is www.carereviews.net. You can also find it on Twitter at carereviews and me at Jeffrey Care. Thanks for listening, and I will see you all later.